Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. we're talking about catastrophizing, which seems especially relevant during this pandemic, which by definition is an actual catastrophe. But we are talking about creating catastrophes where they don't actually exist, which is something Anxiety Sisters are super good at. That's why today we're our own special guests for this podcast, because we are the world's most celebrated experts on catastrophizing. It's one of our superpowers. That is a true story. We are known far and wide for our abilities to imagine homelessness after getting an unexpected bill or to conjure fatal illnesses out of hangnails. In the last six months, Abs, how many times have we asked each other whether whatever weird symptoms we're experiencing was the coronavirus? Well, 15 minutes ago, I asked you about my dizziness. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit dizzy today. And yeah, a little dizzy. So, of course, COVID. Yes. yes. Or a brain tumor. So what, what do you like to catastrophize about, Max? Well, my number one catastrophe is my kids getting sick. And the way this comes out is that, especially when they were a little bit younger, is when they would get a fever, you know, because kids get fevers, I would move them downstairs to the family room where I would sleep right next to them and wake up like every hour or so just to check that they were still breathing and that their fever hadn't spiked. Yeah. I, I would just think it would be like, it would get out of control. I mean, and we hear that a lot, right, Mags? I mean, from the sisterhood, we hear it a lot that you are not the only person to catastrophize around your children's health. Can I tell you one other thing I catastrophize around? Oh, of course. I think, our, <laughs> I, think readers, I think our readers are counting on it. You know, I, I used to have such a phobia of flying and I no longer do. I feel pretty comfortable getting on a plane and I feel comfortable during the plane ride. I don't get anxious, but I do notice that right before I'm going to fly, I definitely catastrophize like there's going to be an accident and I sort of am going through in my head what would happen if I didn't come home from whatever trip, what my kids would do, what my husband would do. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. Is, isn't that what everybody does? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, really? I was like, <laughs> what else would you do before you got on a flying tube? <laughs> of course you would imagine plunging out of the sky, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. I, okay. Yeah. I see it is definitely a catastrophe, but it's just so normal for me to think that way. I guess I didn't even. Right, right. We no longer see it as catastrophizing. We just see it as normal. I, I think that's one of the dangers of catastrophizing is that if it becomes sort of carved into your brain, like a neural pathway, that like a habit, yes. it gets really easy to go there. I mean, you get, trigger, you get trigger happy. And what, what about you? What, what are you catastrophizing? Oh, you know what I catastrophize about. I always am catastrophizing about, you know, some sort of illness. Yes. I, I'm definitely the, the textbook definition of what they used to call a hypochondriac. Now they have, have a name for it. They call it illness anxiety disorder. So we don't have a fun name like hypochondriac, but that's what I am, folks. <laughs> I have gone to the emergency room for countless heart attacks that I never had. 
And, you know, lately I'm not so much into the heart disease. I'm much more into dying of cancer, you know, because I'm at that age. Everyone around me seems to be fighting cancer, so. You're really not at that age, but you're catastrophized. Well, there you go. I catastrophized (laughs) my age. What what else do we hear about? We hear about that from the sisterhood all the time, right? Illness. Oh, illness, anxiety disorder, I think is one of the biggest things that we hear about. What else? What else? What else do our people talk about? They talk Uh, about money issues a lot, right? We definitely hear that people have struggles around money. It creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of catastrophizing. I know an anxiety brother who told me recently that when he was young, his father used to drive him around and point out homeless people to him and say, "If you don't work hard, this could be you." So of course he's he's grown up catastrophizing around money issues. Oh, well, it makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, um, health issues, most people in the sisterhood seem to understand are are catastrophizing around health issues. Listen, you can catastrophize about anything, right? Why do we catastrophize? It's fun. (laughs) For whom? (laughs) For me. No, I mean, I think that on one hand, a lot of us have grown up with that idea that the other shoe always has to drop. Right. And so it's a, it is, for a lot of us, a learned behavior. Right. Yeah, Brene Brown talks about that a lot, how we're really afraid of joy. Yes. Because a lot of us, anxiety sisters, are definitely afraid of joy because we think, oh, you know, this joy is going to be so short-lived. I better not celebrate because it's going to be really bad as soon as this is over. Right. And that goes into that protective piece, too. That you're protecting, we're protecting ourselves from all the disappointment when the other shoe drops. Exactly. We're trying to prepare ourselves. Like, okay, if this horrible thing happens, I'm going to expect it. So I'll be ready for it. Right. And, and I think even biologically, it's very protective that if we didn't see the worst case scenarios historically, you know, if we didn't look at the worst case scenarios, we wouldn't be prepared. Right. Like our, our cave people ancestors, yeah. they didn't envision being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, then they would be caught off guard and be somebody's dinner. Right. Or if you didn't think, wow, if I don't get myself out today and, and collect a lot of wood, I am going to have a pretty awful winter. You right. know, and so part of it is like you really had to catastrophize. You really had to see the worst case scenario in order to save yourself and your family and your tribe. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it, it's an evolutionary motivational technique. It really is. So what triggers it? Anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> good one. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that lack of control of Absolutely. the Absolutely. Uncer- like- uncertainty, right? Anytime yes. we really don't know, you know, and that's one of the reasons that health issues is so easily catastrophized because we don't necessarily know what's going on in our body every moment. So that uncertainty can, can turn into um, a catastrophe very quickly. Right. And it feels like things can change at a moment's notice. We know that about life, right? We know that there's so much we don't have control over. And so... And I keep walking around saying, but it was in my planner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there are so many things that, that can happen that we don't have control over. And in a way, catastrophizing it is a way to take back some control in a strange way. Right. In our heads, at least. Yes. In our heads. 
right. You know, yeah. another time when catastrophizing, I think, rears its head is when we value something very highly and we, and we perceive that it's at stake. So that makes sense for like you with your children, right? What matters to you more on this planet than your boys, right? Nothing. Right. So the idea that they could fall ill to some mysterious, you know, fever. Yes. No. And then all of a sudden something bad could happen. I mean, that's, you know, your most valuable thing to you in the world is at stake. Right. And, and remember that with catastrophizing, there's often a bit of experience or truth Mm-hmm. in the in the thing we catastrophize not always but you know so since i grew up in a household where my father's health was so unstable mm. and there were so many emergencies all the time right it it makes a lot of sense to me that you know the the people that, that now i'm supposed to care for i'm always worried about a health emergency right because you had so many health emergencies that were legitimately catastrophes Right. And they were so out of control right? so that it's like, that's a thing that that's one of the focuses of my catastrophizing. You know what else triggers catastrophizing? What? When you're tired. Oh yeah. Or sick. Yeah. No, like I noticed that I do it more. Like if I have a cold, I am much more likely to catastrophize anything, whether it be health or anything else than I am when I'm feeling a hundred percent or what, or if I haven't had a good night's sleep things just look a lot worse. Yeah. When your physical or mental state is under sort of duress and we're depleted, you know, all our anxiety goes up and certainly our catastrophizing goes up. Yeah. So, I mean, while some of the causes of catastrophizing, we don't have a lot of control over, such as, you know, our anxiety disorders necessarily or uncertainty. I mean, there's going to always be uncertainty. Certainly we can recognize when we might be predisposed to catastrophize because we're under the weather or we're tired or, you know, we've had a very bad interchange with someone. So we're feeling pretty depleted. You know, I mean, I think that there's moments when you can say to yourself, oh, that will make sense that I'm going to go there. Right. That, that's and, so true. That, that awareness is good to have. You know, not, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stop it, but but it's definitely good to know that you're going to be more likely to right. catastrophize in those moments. Absolutely, because it it makes it less scary when it is happening. Right, right. So, um, like I always like to tell people, catastrophizing involves three things. It involves magnification, rumination, and helplessness. And it starts like this. It starts with a thought, right? just some sort of regular thought like, oh, I'm not feeling that great. Right. And then there, here comes the magnification. You blow it out of proportion. Right. Right. So that's the, that's where it becomes a catastrophe is when it suddenly takes on larger than life proportions. That's the magnification. Then you dwell on that magnification. Mm-hmm. So that continues this downward spiral of further exaggeration. And what ifs, you know what I'm saying? It becomes this vicious cycle and you develop this, you know, step-by-step process of demise I call it <laughs> in mm-hmm. your mind but it's you know you're really magnifying something and then dwelling on it and then after dwelling on it for a certain amount of time you start to just feel completely helpless and we all know that when you feel helpless is when you start to feel overwhelmed and you lose your sense of agency or control even further which is causing the catastrophizing to begin with so it really it really is a very vicious cycle strategies that we would use to manage catastrophizing basically would involve minimizing rather than maximizing. In other words, doing the opposite of magnification, making things smaller, and then distracting yourself so that you don't sit there and dwell on it 
and doing things that create a sense of control so that you don't feel helpless. Yes. I think it's really important to label what's happening for you. Like you were saying before, when you, when you start to go down that route, at first, often it's hard to tell that you're going down that path of catastrophizing. But once you start to go down the path and you kind of understand that you're dwelling on something or magnifying something, kind of saying to yourself, okay, this is catastrophizing. And like you said before, maybe I'm doing it because I'm tired or I'm unnerved by something or I'm just having an anxious day. And I have to know that this is just part of being an anxiety sister. This is part of an anxiety disorder. I like, to, brain, I, I like to say out loud, my brain is protecting me. I was my brain is my really okay. That's so funny. My brain is trying to protect me. It's doing a lousy job, but it is trying really hard to protect me because catastrophizing is a protective mechanism. Right. And this goes back a long way evolutionarily. Like I often say to that to myself, this didn't start with me. This is not just me. This is really biologically and evolutionarily my brain trying to help me and protect me. And this is what it is. Just even saying to myself, right now I'm catastrophizing. This is what it is. Especially if you can say to yourself, you know, and I know that catastrophizing involves magnification, rumination, and helplessness. Just saying those words aloud to yourself, it does take the edge off of those things. Because when you start becoming aware of the process, you take away its power. Absolutely. Also, knowing the situations that tend to get to you. I don't tend to catastrophize about money or finances, even when we're really broke, which we are at times. But I, I do blow health or my children's health out of proportion. So even just saying to myself, this is one of those situations where I know that I don't always have a great perspective on this. This is a situation where I tend to catastrophize. That really does help too. Absolutely. I know I do that with health, especially because I used to get so triggered by the idea of having a heart attack. Yes. And so I don't know if you remember, we were once um, at a conference and somebody started talking about, she yes. had some sort of heart issue and she started talking about talking about it. And I said to you, you know what, I'm going to excuse myself. And I did. I left the room because I knew that if I stuck around, then I would start catastrophizing my own health. That, right. that, that, that I tend to get nervous about heart disease. So, you know, even something as silly as I was watching the Today Show when they were doing five signs that you're having a heart attack. So I just changed the channel <laughs> because right. I don't need to look at that. Believe me, I know what the signs are. Of a heart exactly. attack. <laughs> so right. I don't need to read that information um, because I know that that's going to predispose me to catastrophizing. Yep. And sometimes what, what you can also do is call your anxiety buddy. Your, your anxiety friend and say like, am I blowing this out of proportion? Right. <laughs> if you're hearing someone else confirming that you are blowing out of it out of proportion can be very helpful too. Absolutely. I don't know how many times I've said to you, honey, when it comes to your kids, you don't see straight. I don't. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to their health. Yes. Yeah. When it comes to their health. Yes. So I've definitely said that to you and you've definitely reminded me of, you know, all the things that I catastrophize. <laughs> quite the list (laughs) and knowing that even after you know what it is and maybe you've checked in with yourself or you've checked in with someone else you're still you may still have those feelings of catastrophizing you may still ruminate you Mm -hmm. may still 
be thinking about it a lot, but you can tell yourself, you know what, this sucks. It's not going to last forever. It will pass. I mean, it may not pass quickly, but this too shall pass. You and I love to tell people thoughts are not facts. Exactly. And I say that to myself all the time. Thoughts aren't facts. It's just a thought. And then it's sort of that whole piece of being able to move on from the thought, not not necessarily stopping the thought, but sort of saying, okay, like I might be having this thought, but what do I need to do right now? You know, what's my, what was my plan before this thought? Explain that more. I think that's really great. I may be having this thought that I can't really stop the thought, but I can still go to the store or I can still take a walk around the block or I just can still stay in the time in the moment right now. Kind of forcing yourself to be present because catastrophizing is always future-based, right? Right, right, exactly. Can you get through the next five minutes? Is anything happening in the next five minutes that's scaring you? Don't forget, when we break things down to, to the very minute that we're in, it gets rid of ambiguity because we're not so focused on what we're not certain of. We're pretty sure what's going to happen in the next 20 seconds. But when we start worrying about what's happening in an hour from now or a day from now or in a week from now, that creates the ambiguity. So sometimes just going one thing at a time. Absolutely. You know, you and I love Annie Lamott. She's a great writer. She wrote a book called Bird by Bird. It was actually a guide for writers, but I love the title of the book, Bird by Bird. And I use that as a mantra all the time because it comes from when her, she had a book report for school when she was probably in middle school. She had to write about birds. And she asked her dad, how am I going to write about such a big topic of birds? I mean, where do I start? And he said to her, bird by bird. And I always use that to remind myself, I'll take it one minute and then the next minute, bird by bird. Right. What else do you do to sort of calm down when you're in that full, say you're in that full catastrophe mode? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I can recall that very clearly. So one of the ways that I stay in the moment is I will start doing my belly breathing. Mm -hmm. And I know for you, sometimes if you're feeling really panicky, that that can maybe make you hyperventilate. So you don't do that. But Another thing that you can do then if you don't want to do belly breathing is you could do a progressive muscle relaxation, which is kind of, it's like a body scan where you close your eyes and you just think about each part of your body. You start with, let's say your tips of your toes and you just try to feel your toes, wiggle your toes and then feel your foot, maybe flex and arch your foot. And then maybe your ankle, you might want to rotate your ankle and you just go up your body. And it sounds like how is that going to help me with my catastrophizing? But here's the thing. When our brain gets focused on an activity, it has to let the other activities go. Right. So while you're focusing on rotating your ankle and thinking to yourself, hmm, what comes after my ankle? I guess my knee. Suddenly you're very captivated by this body scan and it definitely will distract you from all of that dwelling. It'll get you off the dwelling. We have on our website a really good six minute, I think it is, six or seven minute progressive muscle relaxation scan that you can download to your phone or whatever, and you can use it anytime. Just turn it on and I will be giving you directions on how to scan your body. Right. And if you find yourself struggling, one of the things I do is I go out for just a walk around the block and I'm talking, I'm not going to exercise. I'm not going to count my steps. I'm just breathing some fresh air and that helps ground me so much. So there's like a lot of different ways to kind of 
take a moment out for that meditative experience. And when you distract yourself, then you break that dwelling cycle. Yes, yes. And that's kind of why we recommend spin kits, right? Right. Spin kits. Spin kits. That's another great way to deal with catastrophizing. We have a lot on our website about spin kits, but basically these are mental health first aid kits, <laughs> I would say, exactly. that you exactly. can carry around with you. And what we want is something in that kit that helps to ground you when you're feeling like just swept away by anxiety, like you're not even in yourself anymore. You're so anxious. So an example um, could be like a peppermint or something with a very strong scent that will kind of bring you right back to reality. Stick an Altoid in your mouth. Those things are so spicy. Yes. I guarantee you it will totally distract your brain from whatever you were thinking. You want a distractor in your spin kit. So what's your distractor in your spin kit apps? Oh gosh, I have a few, but I, I mean, I have this little piece of fabric that's really, yeah. really soft. I spritzed it with lavender so I can sniff it and that smell will kind of bring me back. And then I can also stroke the soft fabric, which I'm a very tactile person. That really helps me because then I kind of focus on the feeling of the fabric and it, mm. and it makes me kind of come back to myself. And it also distracts me from whatever else I was thinking. Right, right. I mean, but people use those, um, what are they called? Fidget spinners? Yeah, fidget spinners, yeah. Anything that's like that, that will distract you. We have some anxiety sisters that like kaleidoscopes. Right, or even sometimes just having some pictures with you. Absolutely, of your pets, your kids, your or family. Just a or just place that you wish you were at. Right, exactly, you know? your serene scene, wherever that right. may be. So, and then you definitely want to have symptom relief, right? Oh, absolutely. So for me, because I feel anxiety in my stomach, usually, I usually have like gas X or Tums or something like that with me. Yeah. Other people will have medicine with them or whatever helps you, whatever things helps the symptom of your anxiety. So a spin kit is really helpful for catastrophizing. I think a spin kit is helpful for everything. We recommend everybody, especially newbies to the anxiety world, carry one. You should go on our website and look up spin kit. And yeah. we have a really good blog explaining how to make your own. Yep. What else do you do to help yourself when you're catastrophizing a lot? We need to remind ourselves how bad we are at predicting the future. Hmm. Especially when it comes to how we're going to feel in the future. We think that we know exactly how we're going to feel about something because we base it on how we're feeling at that moment. But that actually results in inaccurate production. If you understand that, if you know that the human being is not so good at predicting the future, especially when it comes to feelings, then that will help you realize that your catastrophe that you're creating in the future, there's, there's a really good chance you're getting it wrong. Right. We're usually imagining this worst case scenario that is very, very extreme. Right. And, and most things in life end up not at the extremes. Exactly. We, we remember the best of times and we remember the worst of times, but we don't remember the run of the mill. Exactly. Most things in life end up being somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. And, and I guess it makes sense because have you ever had something where you either thought something was going to be like the greatest thing ever or the worst? And usually it's neither the greatest nor the worst. Exactly. Exactly. We, and we always mispredict how bad we're going to feel about something. I remember being so, when I, was, I remember being in college and being so worried about my grades on things. And I right. was so anxious about like, oh my God, if I don't do well on this test, I am going to be so upset. I'm going to be devastated. And then 
I wouldn't do that well on the test, but I noticed I didn't feel that devastated by it. It's like I had mispredicted how bad I would feel because I was having so much anxiety in that moment. I was translating that into how I would feel in a week. Another thing that really helps sort of along those same lines is thinking about the possible versus the probable. So if my kids have a fever, is it possible that the fever could get so bad during the night that they'll have to be rushed to the hospital? Or is it probable? Which is likely to happen since my kids have no underlying health conditions? Right. You can even assign a percentage. Like what are the chances? Right. Exactly. We're looking at minimally possible. You know, anything is possible in this world, we say, but it's not very likely I always use that possible versus probable when I fly, because as you know, I also had a severe flying phobia that kept me out of my eyes for a decade. And now I, well, not during the pandemic, but I normally am a very frequent flyer and not at all anxious about it. But I, I very often will say to myself, okay, how many flights leave per day? How many typically crash? What are the chances that I'm going to be in a crash? Very, very, very low. Is it possible? Sure. Anything's possible. Is it probable? Definitely not probable. That to me is really helpful because it kind of pulls me back to reality. Yeah. It kind of pulls me back to saying, what are the facts of the case here? Not my waiting for the other shoe to drop, worst case scenario, but what are the facts? Right. Not your opinion, but the actual facts. Another thing that we often recommend to people that they do is visualize what we call the best case scenario. So if if you're catastrophizing that your son is going to need to be rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night with a spiking fever, you can totally counteract that by forcing yourself to imagine the best case scenario, which is that, you know, your son wakes up in a couple of hours and says, mom, I feel completely fine. And he has no temperature at all because that too is a possibility. People do sleep off a fever. So once again, our brain's not capable of doing that much heavy thinking about more than one topic at a time. Right. So you're immersing yourself in a best case scenario, even if you feel like it's so forced. That's what your brain will focus on. And it's as realistic often as the worst case scenario, exactly. if not more. If not more. If not more, because we tend to exaggerate doom. So I think it's often hard for us to imagine the best case scenario, but it is probably more likely that it will happen than the worst case scenario. Yes, very true. The other thing we want to say is if you're really dwelling on something, really ruminating, and you really can't stop, and it's coming up a lot, so it's not just like sort of occasionally catastrophizing, which we all do, then it's really time to look at sort of getting another level of support with it. Yes. Because there is so much help out there for this kind of like rumination and catastrophizing that won't stop. There really is a lot of help. Yeah, there are a lot of techniques and strategies that a professional can help you learn to practice that can make a huge difference. And medications can really help as well. So if it's starting to overwhelm your life, it's not something that you should suffer alone. And I know Abby has a favorite Mark Twain quote. I do. My favorite Mark Twain quote ever is... I've had many catastrophes in my life, some of which actually happened. (laughs) I love that. Okay, some announcements. 
after our pandemic-induced hiatus, we are back with season four. Our next episode is all about something called transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, and how it can be used to treat OCD and depression. And we have our special guest, Dr. Aaron Tendler of the company Brainsway, who will explain all about TMS and how it works and how you can get access to it if it is something that interests you. Also, we want to let you know that our e-course, Anxiety Rescue, is going on now, and you can find it on our website, and we've dropped the price to $29. You can start it anytime. A lot of people have taken it during this pandemic and felt that it has really helped them cope. So check it out. Check out our e-course. So right now, we are having a fall contest on our Facebook page. So check out our Facebook page to see how to enter. It's very simple. Just shoot us an email with a word or phrase that gets you through tough times and you will automatically be entered to win a mantra band with your word or phrase on it. And this contest is running through October 1st. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on our website, www.anxietysisters.com. As always, if you have feedback, especially compliments, questions, an idea for a podcast, please email us. We're at absandmags at anxietysisters.com. And if you like these podcasts, we would be so, so grateful if you could leave us a review on SoundCloud or Apple or Google or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Sisters, sisters don't go it alone. We don't go it alone. (laughs) Oh, we, gosh. We are we, never, it's four seasons and we can't get that right. Yeah, we go saying that alone, but we don't go it alone. Right. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.